welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Guys, today is going to be an educational segment. No matter where you are in your fitness journey or your coach, you're going to want to check in on this episode. We are going to go over the comprehensive weight loss panel that we talk about often on here from Life Extinction on what we look for as coaches and the ranges we're looking for and kind of talk different stuff about it. So should be a great podcast. I'm going to turn it to Gramps. Jason. Yeah. How's your last seven days been? See, Sue, I went different this time. Yeah, went yeah different. Did. I'm going to focus on all the positive. Um, <laughs> you know, um, business has been good. Um, three or four signups last week, four signups this week. Um, I've got a pl- trip planned to Florida, and I'm really excited about it. There's a lot of good uh, that'll, that'll come of that. Uh, I'm going to see a buddy that I haven't seen in a while. Um, need some sun. Uh, it's been gray here and I just, I just feel like I need some sun. Um, so I have all my people checking in early this week. Well, I'm having all my Thursday and Friday people check in early and uh, I'm going to try to unplug as much as I can. I'll probably still have to take my computer because I, I announce it on Instagram and some people, you know, they don't check in, they don't check that stuff that much. So I'll get like maybe 10 check-ins a day, which is totally manageable in the morning to take care of, or even I can do it on my phone when I, before I can get out of bed. Um, but we had, a meeting at new ethics with a new business consultant. And uh, I'm really excited about the direction and the guidance that he's given us. Um, we've taken it probably as far as we can. And I don't think there's any shame in admitting that. Um, and now to double revenue again and really, really dig in and go to that next level. Um, it was time. Um, he's sharp. Um, very rarely do I feel much dumber than someone in a room. And I definitely felt that way. So I, I think, uh, you know, to get better, you guys surround yourself with people smarter than you. And so we are doing that. And so that's really exciting. He's also helping on feed for function. Uh, we're going to do some new things with that too, which are going to be really cool. And feed for function is the coaching app that we sell licenses to, to keep you coaches organized. You can also use it individually for 1099, but it's going to be more robust. It's going to be better. And, um, I'm excited for that too. So, that's all the positives, man. Um, you know, I, I'll, I will cover my training. I'm sitting at 205 now, lean. Uh, my, my competitive weight is 185. Uh, my goal all along was to be able to come in at 190 peeled. And um, I think that I'm probably getting there. Got a few things to still improve. Got to get my legs bigger. They were bigger in 2018. I think they come down just because I knew I was retired. My knees kind of ache. And I, I don't want to say that I didn't push hard, but I guess I wasn't pushing hard enough. Um, but they're starting to bounce back. Um, leg press was heavy as hell today, and I'm pushing. So things are looking good on the physique side as well. So good things, man. Just, you know, you got to deal with some ice bullshit, but overall good things in my, my, uh, my area of the world. So Sweet tits, man. Jeffrey Sue, what about you, buddy? Um, life is good, man. Uh, business is kicking. A lot of signups, a lot of consults, a lot of mentorship calls. I just got off of um, Every Calorie Counts podcast with Tim English and Brandon the Cruz. Um, talked about SIBO. That's going to be released on Thursday. So I am definitely very, very busy. I just had my garage insulated spray foam uh, a couple of weeks ago and I'm getting uh, mini splits put in. Uh, I think next week made the down payment for that. It's definitely not cheap. So um, if anyone wants to sign up for coaching, uh, feel free, you know, 
Um, other than that, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is good, man. I can't complain. I'm just a little cold because I turned the heat down again to save some money. Oh, Christ, dude. Just get the hell out of that house. If you can't heat the fucking thing, get out. Get out. <laughs> so I'm wrapped up in a blanket again. <laughs> Sell it. What do you got it down to? What? What do you got your heat down to? 63. What the fuck? Are you serious? What? That's that's like normal around here. Dude, <laughs> I keep mine at 69, 68. Well, and I'm still told, and I'm and I, when I have guests, they're still like, damn, it's pretty chilly in here, man. Well, that's gotta you're be in, you're in Kentucky. That, I know it's worse. You're in a cold ass state. That's gotta be frigid as fuck. No, but we're like, we're like, you know, like acclimated to this though, you know? So it's like I don't know, man. Jeff's Jeff Black, what do you keep your house at? Right now it's a 66 degrees. I think I keep it there all the time. Got it. Except summer, it goes 74. Okay. And the reason it's 74 in the summer, well, the reason it's 74 in the summer is I'm in my gym and it's about 80, 85 fucking degrees in there. You guys come home and it feels like I'm home. If it's anything below 70, it makes you sick. You know, I'm also wearing shorts and like I've only had two meals today because I've been working like crazy. So, you know, I'm probably low on food. That's why I'm cold. 63 is cold, dude. Like, that's cold Pretty to cold. keep a house at. You cheap motherfucker. Sell yeah, that M4. Dude. Jesus Christ. Wow. Just, you know when you're skimping on heat. I'm going to start a GoFundMe for you, Sue. I feel yeah, so bad right. for you right now. Shit. He needs a GoFundMe account. Oh, it's those fucking mini splits, man. They're fucking expensive. <laughs> oh, actually, speaking of money back, I guess I'll throw this out there. So yeah. I talked to my accountant, and she told me that if you're a coach and you didn't take a PPP loan, you might want to consider looking into it and doing it for your personal training. Um, that was her advisement after reading anything. So if you're a coach and listening to it, you might want to, you know, consider doing that if you want to, and you were in person and were affected. Um, she's Allison Reynolds. If you guys need to want to get a hold of her and have that conversation, she has a lot of blogs. She was on one of the podcasts we did when the pandemic broke out. So she's got some cool stuff, but I might, I might hit her up for my tax evasion. Dude, you really should, man. She has helped me so fucking much. She has helped me so much. I was on the phone with her for 40 minutes yesterday, setting up relentless, explaining to her how I was doing it. She was making sure she's like, are you doing this? Or, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And like making, she's just very, very thorough and she's easy to fucking talk to, which is I think I am going to call her. I'll hit, I'll hit you up after this podcast for her contact. I'll I'll give it to you, man. She already, I already told her that you're going to hit her up. So. She's reasonably priced, dude. She's not expensive at all. Not like she's not gonna like fucking take your house and your dinner over shit. Yeah, I mean, I found it to be you gonna make me fair. crank my heat down to fifty seven. <laughs> well, you know, at that point, your fat ass. At that point, it's not really fat, I guess, So I don't know. You know, like <laughs> I think at fifty seven, it just doesn't run. Like your insulation should keep your shit at fifty seven. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I'm kind of like you, broke ass man. This is an upper limit problem that Jeffrey Sue just proved to be well. Like once you get to a certain point, you just can't be happy anymore. So it's like, fuck it. I want the apartment back now. It was cozier. You oh, know? No, really? That's, a, that's, I know, that's what I'm saying. I get, I get it to some degree. I get it. Yeah. Dude. Uh, I guess my last seven days were good. I really don't have much to really report. Just onboarding clients. Jim's good. Coach is good. Working on my relentless project. Um, I bought a green screen and a really dope ass video camera for Nick and I and the coaches to shoot a bunch of content. Cool. Um, start working on that, and otherwise, man, just been pretty chill. No complaints. No complaints. Good but deal. speaking of awesomeness, uh, of no complaints, let's get to our sponsor, uh, Amino Asylum. Guys, they have 600 milligram L-carnitine. I just ordered myself a few today. <laughs> so if you guys are doing L-carnitine and looking for a higher dose potency, be sure to hit them up. This discount code is TC15. 
we actually did not talk about the PEC and we got to finalize all that. So we got to send out an email to all the coaches that we're bringing on board. Yeah. So guys, we'll be getting that out here in the next probably couple of weeks. So just be listening on that. It will be at my gym in Nashville. That much we do know. And that's just because we can space everything out. I can shut the gym down and we can make sure it's a good old honky tonky kind of party. Like you want to get when you come to the six one five, who knows, Jason, maybe I'll see if some of my country artist friends wants to come and play and, pop a kegger and oh, yeah. uh you know just do a live acoustic set get a little rowdy in there that'd be sweet make the national experience we can maybe get a mechanical bull so we can watch austin and jeffrey sue go head to head <laughs> one more time on the mechanical oh. bull ride oh dude don't say no don't say no don't you mm-mm. no 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 um, injury free in 20 yeah i'm not messing my knees or growing <laughs> up i'll let these assholes deal with well deal. after lauren riding that mechanical bull down in atlanta i mean she might want to ride that again maybe we'll have a female competition maybe we'll mm-hmm. i'd rather see that honestly than see austin <laughs> yeah. ride the bull he actually did you see austin he messed up his hamstring yeah mm-hmm. what did he do with that i don't know it was an out of the gym You'd, you'd imagine the way he trains how hard he trains it would happen in the gym but no it was like his I mean, last was one was like out running. of the gym yeah, it was like running outside, like in a parking lot. Apparently, why was his big ass running? I don't know. He was fucking around. When I'm over two hundred, I don't do any running. I know that shit's just bad news. Oh, poor Austin. Maybe maybe he'll listen to this and get a chuckle out of it. <laughs> All right, let's hit the blood work. What you guys say? Blood work. Go. All right, let's do it. All right, guys. So you've heard us talk before. One of the panels that we like utilizing when we're troubleshooting cases is kind of like a base entry point of when we're beginning to maybe, you know, start teasing things out with our clients is the comprehensive weight loss uh, panel that is on um, lifeextinction.com. What is it? It's like they've gone up in their price, haven't they? Yeah, 275, I think. 275. Um, So what it is, it's got a lot of great values in it. And if you guys have seen one, you guys know what we're talking about. If you have not, it literally has what your complete metabolic panel, your CBC, um, insulin, thyroid, hormones. There's a lot of good stuff in it. And we are going to cover it line item by line item of what we feel the most important ones are that we are looking at when we are trying to troubleshoot clients. First up on it, you will see a glucose. J-Man, you want to hit up on glucose, what you're looking for, what you're kind of thinking? Yeah, I mean, this is a fasted glucose number. So, you know, you, you go uh, without eating. Um, what we're looking for here is really anything under 100. But I can tell you, you know, if you're in the high 70s to mid 80s, you're excellent. You know, over 85 to 95, you're still good. Over 95, you know, I get concerned. Maybe I'll, you know, have you check some postprandial, uh, you know, um, numbers just watch, you know, some people have dawn effect in the morning and that's mm-hmm. kind of causes that to be elevated. And that's why we also look at your A1C, which we will discuss later. And you also look at fasted insulin to make sure, because if it's over hundred, we think insulin is fading insulin sensitivity, and therefore you're going to see higher insulin. But if you go check it and it's not, and we'll give you ranges there, then it's probably dawn phenomenon. You can help them with stress in the evening, uh, maybe a blood glu- or a glucose agent before bed, things of that nature. Beautiful. Jeff, you want to chime in on that? Yeah. Um, the only thing I want to talk, want to add here is that, um, you know, insulin is obviously a, um, I guess a precursor to high uh, fasted blood glucose. So you're going to see high insulin first, which I'm not sure if I saw that on this set of labs, but usually the pancreas will start to pump up insulin to control blood glucose and it can mask 
um, a problem because high insulin would artificially, you know, so to speak, keep glucose at a normal level. But once the pancreas, uh, pancreatic beta cells start to fatigue a little bit, that's when you see the unbridled uh, glucose levels start to rise higher and higher, approaching type 2 diabetes. Beautiful summary. Guys, Sue, well, I've got your beautiful attention and see those beautiful glasses you're wearing. You want to take on bun real quick? Yeah, blood, urea, nitrogen, and creatinine both are um, kidney functions. They're related to each other, obviously, in the bun-creatinine ratio that you'll see quite often on lab work. And basically, they are indicators of kidney health or kidney stress. If you see these two elevated slightly, usually if you are training hard, there are some metabolites of um, you know protein breakdown and everything, and that can cause a little bit of... Um, an increase in both of these or dehydration really. And if you see that usually fix the hydration and then there's a supplement called astralgus that you can take, um, which will help lower uh, bun and creatinine levels. Beautiful. Jay, you want to cover, cover up on that? Um, you know what? I think he did a good job of that. I don't think we need to kind of anything else on that. Um, you know, the ranges are there for you to see. It's really simple. If any of these are high, have a concern, Think about your protein intake. Think about how you're detoxing with your liver. Um, and, you know, you may need to add that astragalus that Jeff Sue talked about. Four to eight grams, if he didn't give you a dosing, yep, um, right. will, be, will be a place to start. Um, the other thing here is the EGFR. Um, there's, oh, you there's, want to talk about the creatinine below, above it? We didn't get Oh, I thought you guys did that. He was just talking on bun. Oh, um, creatinine. Um, that one you want to make sure you're under you're you're under one. Um, a lot of times I see people that you know might be like 101, 102, like they're not that bad, but you do want that to be uh, under one. So um, if it's under one, I usually am okay with it. This the what labs we're looking at right now is 0.79. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Jeff Sue wants to add anything on it. Yeah, it's creatinine is a byproduct of uh, creatine. So um, if I see that elevated and there's not, so, not any sort of like a dehydration or a kidney health issue, it's most likely due to a higher consumption of protein, mainly red meat, which contains yep. creatine, which can give off that excess creatinine um, byproduct. Yeah, and it stresses the, the, the kidneys, basically. Yep. <clears throat> Beautiful. EFGR, Jason, I know you wanted to talk about this one. Just touch on it real quick. Um, so there's non-African-American and there's African-American. So obviously you have to go by race. Um, but basically anything at, in the 60s, you need to be concerned. Like you want this to be, um, you know, closer to 100 on both people uh, or on both uh, races. Um, you know, I've seen 60s before and um, I hit astragalus at eight grams. I put them on ketogenic diets. I get the carbs down. Sugars can be hard on, on you know, the kidneys. And, and this is a filtration or basically ratio. Um, so I have seen 60s, astragalus. But basically, you know, any, any number around 80, 90, 100 is good. Um, you get into the 60s, you are looking at, you know, kidney, kidney damage. And um, astragalus is one of the one supplements that has proven to actually kind of repair some of the filaments of kidneys. Um, and so that filtration number can go up. And then I put people on true keto, which is like 25% protein, 70% fats, keep the, keep the sugars down really low. 
um, and then also look at uh, liver detoxification. So um, just just watch that number. Um, it, you know, it's another stressor on the kidney, and, and that's what it's measuring. So. Yeah, that's a good summary, man. I know that that one's really important. I've honestly never seen anyone ever have like less than six to eight. Oh man, I had never seen it flagged. I had a woman in stage uh, three. I think she was a forty. Yeah, they gave her two years to have her kidneys basically were going to be need to be um, a transplant. So we did the astragalus. Um, We did the keto. I was talking about. We pulled training way back. I increased liver detoxification. We got her up to 69, which in that case, you're out of uh, kidney, you know, stage one, two, three, or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, her immediate question was, when can I compete? And I was like, mm-hmm. I would never compete again if I was you. I would keep trying to get that number up in the 80s and thank your lucky stars if it gets there and holds. And so we parted ways because I wasn't going to um, diet her. Good call. Hey, you know, one fun fact about EGFR, the reason why they have African and non-African is because uh, Africans or African-Americans rather have higher amounts of muscle mass on average than non-African-Americans and therefore their creatinine metabolism is increased. Yeah. And that's a good point. Like bigger guys, um, you know, their EGFR may be a little bit lower, but it's, you don't have to get as alarmed about it. Um, And that's probably the same thing. You know, they got the more muscle mass. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the next one I want to move on to is that albumin. I cannot unsee that and unhear that after that longevity episode with that doctor. Lungs that we had on. Oh, yeah, that's right. The longevity guy, that was the one he was, they like contributed to the longevity aspect. And every time I see that, I'm like, you better eat your carrots. (laughs) So, um, but that was one he was saying that as you get older, it gets lower. So if you want to keep that one higher in it was a lot of it was rooted in what was it Sue? because we were on that one together was it the beta cut yeah yeah you're right all right the next one we want to cover is alkaline phosphatase this is one that's like you find this in muscle tissue but you also find it in the gut and can help digestion but basically if that is low 30s 40s generally speaking you're low in some some minerals magnesium and zinc so if i see that low that kind of signals to me that I need a good multivitamin. I need either our Metapure, something that's going to provide a good amount of magnesium and zinc into uh, into the diet. So I do take a look at that real quick to see. And a lot of athletes are replete of magnesium and zinc. Like you get those into people right away and you can already help, um, you know, uh, uh, bowel movements, help the thyroid. I mean, it uh, just those things little things like that can help. And that is a marker that does may be low. Beautiful. You got anything you want to chime in on that one, Sue? Nope. I'm good. All right. Let's move to LDH. So this is on the second page of the life extinction comprehensive weight loss panel. So this one, you um, nurse practitioner, Rick, who you guys met at the first PEC, he was the one who told me to pay attention to this one. He's like, if it's high, like flagrantly high, like if you're looking over three and 400 and stuff like that, it'll be a sign of tissue damage um, in the bloodstream. And, you know, like maybe possible, not necessarily rhabdo, but you would want to go deeper because it could be a sign of like of a heart attack, uh, depending upon what the creatinine levels are, like there was things. So if it is high, that would be one you might want to look at as far as muscle damage goes and do further refer that one out to a doctor would be where I would go on that. Um, if it look was flagged pretty high. The next one is AST. Sue, what have you got on the AST? 
AST, I, it's a, one of the liver enzymes. Um, I forgot the, the exact name for it. I know the ALT is alanine transferatase or something like that. Um, there's a fancy name for the AST as well. But either way, AST should be around the ranges of like as a 20 to 30. On the labs, you know, they vary sometimes. You know, on this set of labs here, it goes up to 40. I've seen the upper limits as 50. But basically, 30s are, are where you'd want to see both ALT and AST. Any sort of liver damage, acute or chronic, you can see these liver enzymes go up to the 300s to 500s or higher. I have personally seen my AST and ALT get into the 300s after a contest prep yep. and using um, oral steroids like... Um, you know, D-ball, Anavar, you know, whatever, Winstrol, that'll kick all that up. More, more so Halo Testin than Anadrol. Halo Testin. Yep, I've yep. never God. seen Halo Test is so fucking good. Yeah. Oh, but, so, so, you know, if, you're, if your eyes haven't turned yellow yet, your AST and ALT will probably be in the hundreds. And uh, that's not a good thing. So to fix um, poor ALT and AST, uh, Tudka obviously is a, is a go-to supplement for many bodybuilders as is NAC or NAC and acetylcysteine and glutathione injections are also very helpful in getting that down. And of course, Jason, you have the product, uh, Metapure. I use our Metapure. Yeah. But I do agree with, um, see, we have NAC in that, um, you got milk thistle too. Yeah. And so there's a ton in there to help, um, basically support phase one and phase two detoxification through the liver. Um, but I do agree with glutathione, um, injections will help as well. Yeah. And obviously stop taking the steroids. Don't, don't take oral steroids <laughs> all year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, ALT kidneys, J you, uh, ALT is a liver marker. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We, we covered both. We just covered both. both. Cool. I'm just make sure. Sorry. I'm like lying on iron. You, Jay, again. <laughs> um, I just looked at it to make sure it's not high, to be honest with you. Um, if it's high, I will ask if, you know, they, so they aren't metabolizing it well. I do go then look at ferritin to see how that's holding up. Um, but a lot of bodybuilders eat a lot of cream of rice. I'm guilty. And if you look at it, it's fortified to hell with iron. Um, rise and grinds. Um, I think it's Alex Vasquez company, but rise and grinds, they pulled out the iron because they know that that can become a situation. Um, and you don't want your iron high when you're on peds for sure. Um, so, you know, the ranges are 27 to 159. I just looked that it's not high, to be honest with you. I don't know if Sue has another take on it. Iron levels. Um, let me see here if I have that on my ranges. I don't, but in this, in this set of lab work, this person's 118 and the range goes from 27 to 159, the medical range. Yep. So they are medically acceptable here, I would say. Oh yeah, um, they're fine. But the that's only fine. thing about iron is, um, you know, low iron counts can be, reflect, be reflected in mean corpuscular volume or mean corpuscular, corpuscular hemoglobin, which basically indicate the size of, uh, your red blood cells and how well they uh, transfer nutrients and oxygen to your, to your cells. So a low iron count and low um, folate can contribute to what's called macrocytic anemia, yep. uh, where those levels will be increased because you're lacking in these uh, minerals. So the cells make up for it by increasing their size. 
So that's a, a relation uh, between iron and folate and MCV. Yeah. And MCV. If it's chronically low, I use iron bisglycinate for those listening yeah. out there. And the other thing is low iron levels can lead to amenorrhea because the body thinks, well, you know, it's going to, it's anemic. So let's stop the period. Let's stop losing yeah. more blood and more iron. And that's why sometimes you'll see that hypothalamic amenorrhea kick in as a secondary effect to um, an iron deficiency. Along with thyroid issues as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cholesterol. Guys, I'm not going to go over the total, but let's go over triglycerides. Jason. Well, um, I definitely want this number um, to be low. Um, right. Less than 50. As yeah. low as you get. These are great. 45. Um, I was always taught by the doctor that taught my functional medicine class that the two markers that you're really looking at here, um, for cholesterol are triglycerides, um, and your HDL on most, on these general labs. If you're not, if you don't have particle size, those are the main things you want to look at. Um, and triglycerides, we definitely want those low. The scale is 149 on the high end. We do not want to even really be over a hundred, to be honest with you. Um, and you know, high triglyceride numbers can be from just high super stress. Yes. Um, I've seen cortisol numbers in the three hundreds before and their triglycerides were off the charts because of the liberation of fatty acids into the bloodstream via adrenaline and uh, cortisol. Yep. So, you know, if you see an outrageous triglyceride number, check cortisol, start talking stress but you know, sometimes it's genetic, but the reason I don't see them awful other than cortisol issues is because everyone who comes to me generally eats pretty healthy. I'm not looking at your general American diet who eats McDonald's in the morning, Wendy's for afternoon and you know, whatever else for, for their, their um, dinner. So um, when I see these high, I start really considering what's going on stress wise, cortisol wise, adrenaline wise, and go from there. But you can, you know, help your triglycerides along um, by de-stressing and then having just a healthy diet full of anti-inflammatory fats. Right. Um, yeah. One thing, a couple of things I want to add here is, you know, I had a client who was, um, you know, white female in her early twenties, late mid twenties, and she had jacked up cholesterol levels, triglycerides, LDL, and all that is a function of stress because um, cholesterol is protective to the brain. So there is some sort of like a mechanism, like a survival mechanism that kicks in under stressful situations where cholesterol will be uh, produced in very high amounts uh, via the liver uh, to save the brain, basically. Um, one thing that Jason mentioned about particle size relates to LDL. LDL comes in uh, various amounts of, uh, or various shapes rather, the smaller particles being the more dangerous because they have the ability to get into the smaller, you know, vessels and, and block those versus the larger, fluffier particles. So if you're getting LDL done, it certainly does help to take a deeper dive and get particle size and not just total LDL, which everyone knows is the bad cholesterol versus HDL is the good cholesterol, which is, you know, which is uh, tied to, um, you know, you know, being antidepressive, meaning if you have low HDL, you have a you know, more risk of having depression. So high HDL is good. You can boost that by um, eating omega threes, you know, like salmon, you know, fish oil, avocado, nuts, nut butter, stuff like that. All right. Well, let's talk real quick since we're going to go to a, since you've kind of talked about both LDL and HDL. The person has low HDL, which is common to see among especially men. 
um, especially PED users? What are some of the tricks that you guys use for cholesterol outside? Of what, I know what you said, Sue, but have you guys ever had any success with citrus bermagant or any of those different ones that they uh, sprout out there? I've had a lot of success and I want to credit Austin Stout for um, teaching me this. Um, but there's a supplement called D-limonene, which is an extract from, I think, lemon peels. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way I was instructed to take it uh, when I spoke to Austin was with your highest um, fat containing meals. So I would have this D-limonene one pill with three of my highest, my fattiest meals per day. And I saw a huge improvement in my triglycerides and my LDL by taking that. Nice. Jason got another hack. Um, well, I was taught from uh, Dante. I'll give him a hat tip, Trudell, uh, to use um, krill oil, Viva brand. He got an Amazon, about five to six of those. And then he, he's a big proponent of citrus bergamot, about 1,500 migs. Um, but it sounds like Jeff did really well on that D-Lemony, which I have not used. Uh, was that just a standalone product, Jeff, or was that a- Standalone, yeah. It's made by Jaro. Okay, there you go. So my guess is if that worked really well for him, um, is that, that's a part of that comes out of the citrus peel, doesn't it? D yeah. Yeah. So, and there's been like a lot of medical studies that's actually backed, you know, by, by medical research that actually, that actually works. There's no like conflicting. Yeah. Studies so I would, I would tell people out there, D lemony, um, krill oil, getting your, um, your, uh, omega threes in, uh, would be the way to yeah. go here. One other thing I want to add here is if you are um, using performance enhancers and you're, you're taking aromatase inhibitors, um, I yeah. would lean towards the use of aromacin versus arimidex. Arimidex uh, tends to trash the lipid profile a little harsher than aromacin. Um, that's just been my experience. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I will say what has helped me with my HDL was uh, keolic, that garlic. Oh, yeah. Dante's yeah. recommended that. I got it from him. Hats off to him. And then that product you recommended, Jason, the cholestin. Yeah. Um, yep, by Nutridyne. It's got red rice, yeast extract, uh, niacin. There's something else in there. I can't remember, but that's been pretty good for bringing my HDL up. Normally, mine sits about 34, 35, and it got me, I think, to 42 yeah. um, with krill oil and the other stuff. Next one, hematocrit. So yep. you want to kick that one off real quick? Yeah, hematocrit, basically a, a measurement of uh, the percentage of red blood cells contained in your blood. Um, it's not really a good thing to have high hematocrit. Um, people who use, um, a steroid called equipoise will, um, increase their hematocrit. Obviously if you live, all at, of them do though. What's that? All of them. Yeah. Even all in general, yeah. even basic testosterone, obviously living in higher altitudes, uh, will create a higher, uh, hematocrit percentage. The reason why it's not a good thing for it to be high is that it can cause, uh, you know, a clog or a stroke. Um, so if you are, um, in the high ranges, I suggest that you donate blood on a regular basis because it obviously gets rid of the cells and it takes quite a bit of time, a couple months for the cells to regenerate. So you're basically buying yourself a little bit of time, obviously get off of, um, the PEDs cruise, um, if need be, and, uh, that should take care of it. Jay, you have anything you want to chime in on hematocrit? I've, you know, mine tends to go a little high, like 52, which isn't horrible, but it's over usually the range. Um, the range I think for men is usually 50, 51. Um, I've seen guys at 57, 58, like basically what's going on here. You're, it, it measures the viscosity of your blood. It's another way to think about it. So the higher the number, the more syrupy your blood and therefore your heart has to pump harder. 
So guys who and gals who run higher hematocrit suffer from a potential of more blood clotting. And, you know, that can get to lungs and brains and, you know, cause strokes and uh, just death immediately. Um, I tell people to donate lab, donate, you know, blood when it's high. I've seen that bring mine down about six points, which is pretty nice. And unless someone's running really crazy high, that usually will uh, help the situation. Sweet tits. So I got to this point. So I wanted to say, since we're going to talk about testosterone, this right here is a female one. Um, the number we have uh, testosterone free in total. This is on yep. the third page of the lab test right now. So their reference range is eight to 48. I think the optimal I've seen is 45 to 65. Yep. And she has a five. Yeah, it's yeah. not good. Yeah. So Sue, since you just said it's not good, how would you address that? Where would you go? Well, I think there are a lot of questions that you have to ask here. Um, I, I would assume that this person, uh, this woman has very low sex drive um, looking at these levels here. Um, but there are a couple of things that you can do to boost testosterone. I don't see SHBG listed here, though. There is um, not one in this. You have pen. to add it. It's like 50 bucks. Uh, but you can see that her free testosterone, which is closely related to, to her total serum, is also very low. You want that to be around 4.55. Yep. Um, so here it could be stress related. It could be if she's taking a progestin based birth control because those are derived from testosterone that can cause a negative feedback. Um, I would try to free up free testosterone using, um, you know, nettles, um, boron also boosts free testosterone. Um, there's a supplement called, uh, Trestralin that can also help as well. Um, but that's all I know of to boost testosterone for women. Obviously you can, you know, we'll talk about DHEA a couple lines down, but you can feed into DHEA, which looks low to me as well, which would then hopefully convert. Uh, but sometimes you don't know where DHEA will convert to. So it's kind of like a gamble there, in my opinion. It is. Yeah, Absolutely. Jason, what do you want to chime in? Well, Sue did a really nice job there. So I'll just tell you the product that I use in women and in men. Um, but in women, it works really well. I've seen get I've seen it get it up to about 45 on, on bad numbers, assuming you're dealing with the stress and all the things. Because a lot of times these numbers are down either from a, a show or the stress of their life and training too often and all those things. So you can't just throw supplements at things. Um, the whole, the whole view has to be looked at, but be vital by, um, biotics research. That's yes. B as in boy space, vital V I T A L, uh, two caps, three times per day. It works really well for women. Um, but like I said, it works for my men too, but I've seen really good results at women. So, um, I go that route. And then obviously if after you've de-stressed someone, fix their gut, fix their thyroid, all those different things, if it's still not coming up and everything else is coming up, you can go HRT. Uh, a lot of women do well on five milligrams of test sip two times a week. So, you know, that's an option too. Um, you can abolic. I'm sorry. Have abolic. Abolic is a non it's a non androgen anabolic. So I, I've never used it to rely on just to bump testosterone. It might, I've just never done it. I've, I've used B vital and I use abolic more when people are healthy and I want that extra anabolic addition to good testosterone levels and we're ready to grow. That's how I use it. Yeah. Um, if you've seen it work, then share. I just, I, I haven't, I have two it. girls trying it. They just wanted to see before they went the HRT route. I'm like, well, shit, you'll see. Yeah. So, you know, I'd be curious what their labs come back. Yeah, I'll let you know. We're about to pull some soon. I just want to add here real quick that like if you're dealing with low hormones, 
the first line of defense or first line of, I guess, treatment, if you want to use that word, is to lower stress, fix the gut, um, and, uh, you know, do that for quite a bit of time. You know, I would say at least, you know, six months and feed up um, before you consider, you know, the OTC supplements, or you can kind of do it concurrently. Save HRT for, you know, the last resort. If you tried everything, it's not working, then it might behoove you to get on some uh, exogenous support. I agree with you. That's how I usually advise it. If they're over 40, I'm like, hey, you probably should look at HRT more. But if they're yeah. under 40, I'll work definitely more OTC yeah. and just see if it works over the course of. We have to understand first. there's time involved. You know what I mean? Like, hey, like you're doing OTC, it might be three or four months before we can really retest to see if it worked, where you damn right. know HRT is going to fly it up pretty quick. Yep. Uh, HA1C, hemoglobin A1C. Jason, I'm going to turn it to you since we just got done talking. All right. So this one's important. Um, it's the three month average of your, all your blood glucose numbers. Um, so we were talking about this before, right? Like, so you could have a high fasted glucose and I, I, I then go look at this almost immediately because high fasted morning could just be dawn phenomenon, but then all your other numbers drop and they look really well. So I like this under 5.3, uh, this person's at five. So that's really good. Um, you know, I see them in the four nines sometimes. It's awesome, but I like it under 5.3. Uh, anything over five, anything at 5.7 or higher is ind indicative of prediabetes. Um, so uh, my ideal number is sub 5.3 on that. Um, and we, we've, we've had discussions on insulin sensitivity on this. I teach a course on it, but basically you got to get carbs down, stress down, check cortisol, um, sleep better, you know, fix the gut, like all those things have to be in place. And, you know, insulin sensitivity usually falls in and then, you know, sometimes you need a carb reduction as well. So, yeah. So you got anything you want to chime in there? Yeah. Um, there's a cool mathematical relationship between A1C and FBG, and that's multiplying it by 18. So if you have an A1C of five, you multiply by 18, you'll roughly get to what an FBG should be and vice versa if you divide. Um, echoing what Jason said about DOM phenomenon and high FBG, um, FBG is very variable. So you can't just go by one test. You have to test and find a trend because just one night of bad sleep, for example, can increase cortisol and that will cause a glucose dump in the morning and you'll see an elevated FBG. Things like stress, right, related to sleep, or what you ate, or whether you were dehydrated or not, whether you trained or not, and burned up more glucose, all those things can impact uh, what you know level of, of sugars are circulating around your blood. So uh, A1C, again, Jason said three-month average, it's just a far uh, better, bigger picture of what's really going on inside of you, rather than taking a tiny, tiny little snapshot of what might have happened in the last 24 hours. Beautiful. T4, Sue, I'm going to turn that to you, and then I'll chime in on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, T4, um, in this case, the, the client looks low at a 0.98, but T4 is basically like, uh, you call it like, the, I call it the gas and, and like RT3 would be like the brakes. RT3 isn't tested here, but that's reverse T3. Um, it is, it's, it's tested. It is. Okay. Well, basically, um, actually, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm thinking about T3 and RT3. T4 yeah. is an inactive form of thyroid hormone. So it's like a reserve. It gets converted to T3 when the body needs it. And that's the gas. Okay. RT3 is reverse T3. It can be uh, increased uh, via the liver due to stress. And that, that is called the breaks. And that's basically stopping the conversion 
of T4 to T3, where the body needs it. Um, whenever you hear of hypothyroidism and levothyroxine being prescribed, levothyroxine is a synthetic form of T4, which is why a lot of times in cases of like SIBO or um, any sort of inflammation in the body where the hormone can't get to where it needs to go, levothyroxine will not work and you have to fix the root cause. Beautiful. Uh, Jason, you have anything you want to chime in on that one? The only other thing I think I can add is that it generally converts at about 33%. Um, so it's not a, a great conversion anyways. And mm -hmm. so um, if you end up low in T4, there's a good chance you're going to be low in T3. However, I have seen where they're fairly low in T4. She's 0.98. Um, I would like, I like people middle of the road to, to the upper end of the range. So for that, I would want her at 1.2 all the way up to 1.77. Um, so recommendations on which part supplements for the T4. Yeah. I mean, if T4, well, here's the thing. If T4 is down like hers is, I still go look at free T3 because if that number is good, they're just really good at converting a small amount of T4 that's available. So I don't, right. I, I don't, I don't add anything. So that's why when doctors only look at TSH, uh, thyroid stimulating hormone and T4, it's not the full picture. Correct. Um, you've got to look at free T3 and see how, if they're actually just a good converter of a small amount of T4. So in this case, because we haven't scrolled down yet, I don't know what her free T3 is. So I wouldn't scroll recommend down. That way we uh, can look at that way. You get thyroid all done at once. Her T3 is 2.5. So for me in this situation, I'm going to add thyroid boost because I'm yeah. probably going to need to feed this client up yep. and I want to give the proper minerals that you need to support the thyroid. And so I would use our thyroid boost from new ethics here because she's at a 2.5 on free T3. Again, I like you middle to high normal. So middle there would be like 3.3 up to 4.4 and she's at 2.5 on a 2.0 low scale. So, yep. Guys, would you add any extra iodine? Would you add any extra? Would you do like three thyroid boost there, Jason? Too? No, I would start with me asking. I start with one to see, I mean, thyroid boost is a pretty damn solid product. I start with one. I'll check labs again in these situations in 10 weeks. If we're not middle to optimal, I can go to. Um, very rarely do I need three or more. I have had one case where I needed to get five in someone, um, but it's very, very rare. Fair. All right. So we have T4, we have T3. Now we have reverse T3. Yep. We're looking for the number to be under 15 from what you guys have seen on the charts, correct? I, I say like, 16, but I mean. 15 is like kind of like the optimal, I think, is what that. Yeah. Sure I, I, I stay under 16. So yeah, it's basically. 15. Okay. So when you see this elevated, it's usually, you know, due to inflammation, it's due to stress, it's due to yep. low iron. Um, if you look down here, which we'll scroll down real quick, you see high ferritin levels. So, you know, there's a high level of uh, inflammation going on. Um, so with that being said, do you guys, um, when you see the reverse T3, you're deloading the programming, you're feeding up, we're using MetaPure. Do you guys have any other goodies you guys do for the reverse T3? Um, I mean, for me, it's it's a that number is really indicative of stress to the body. So what the yeah. body kind of does is it's like, man, I'm stuck in flight or fight. I really don't want to keep operating as fast as I am. I'm going to convert some of this T3 to reverse T3 and it's inactive. So I I see a number over 16. Uh, and the higher over 16 it is, the more I realize how much they're under stress. So my brain goes right to got to decrease training, got to pull out hits, got to mm -hmm. get them walking for parasympathetic drive, 
all those different things, what my brain goes to. And then if they're low in three T three, like she is lower, I'll ha- I'll hit in thyroboost at the same time to give the mineral support to the proper conversion. So I want to let you know something I'm trying. I have a client who's got a little bit higher reverse T3, like right around like 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm adding in a small doses of hip post-workout, like just four intervals, two days a week to work the HRV side um, mm-hmm. to see if it does help with that. I'm curious if it does because I'm, we're doing this more strategically, nothing like too cranky, but uh, just some of the extra uh, classes I've been taking on HRV, I want to try it. And she was down for it. So, um, but this is one of those markers that's, that's pretty black and white to a client. If they are arguing with you about the need to back down their workouts, if they're up over, you know, 15, 16, you might need to have the conversation of deloading for a little bit. Anything else you guys want to cover on the reverse T3 before we move to TSH? No. All right. Okay. Thyroid stimulating hormone. Sue, you got, you've read a lot of the books I have. A lot of them just kind of, this number just kind of, they're like, meh, on it from what I've seen in the newer ones. What's your take on it? Um, TSH is the the doctor's favorite to uh, run. That's like all they run for thyroid labs. And yeah. basically it's thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, it's actually, a, 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 it follows TRH. Uh, thyroid releasing hormone and thyroid stimulating hormone stimulates the gland itself to uh, start producing. Um, it's used as a barometer for where, um, you know, T4 and T3 should be. So doctors will use TSH, whether it's high or low to titrate the dose of cytomel T3 or um, drugs like levothyroxine T4, depending on their treatment uh, path or protocol. Um, TSH, I like to see, I'm looking at my labs, uh, my lab charts here, anywhere from like a 0.5 to like a 2.5. You don't want it higher than a 2.5 because it's sort of counterintuitive, right? So when thyroid stimulating hormone is very high, it's the brain saying, Hey, thyroid gland produce more hormone because somehow we're not getting it in the body where we need it. So it kicks up TSH. So a high TSH doesn't mean a good functioning uh, thyroid hormone, hormonal process is actually a bad process. So you want it somewhere in the middle where the body's getting enough. So there's no feedback loop going up to the hypothalamus and, uh, there's no signaling, um, to produce more TSH. So that's all I have to say about that. Jason, you got anything you want to chime on that? You want to move on to the DHA no, he one? Was, he was spot on. I yeah, mean, I it's not a be all end all. And I, I use the same range. Cool. DHEA, Jason, you. Um, I mean, this is one of those ones that I look at uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, if this is high, it's an androgen and it's marked clinically high. You could be looking at PCOS situations. And then I go look at fasted insulin, which I think we're still going to cover yep. uh, in, in the PCOS. You know, you're going to be losing insulin sensitivity. So insulin's going to be high. So if I see high insulin or, you know, above 10 uh, getting high, I use 10 as my marker. Um I start to think PCOS. So like, you know, especially if they're not on a DHEA supplement and it's high, androgens are, are building up and insulin, high insulin in, causes can cause that in people. Um, so it also though can kind of give you an insight into uh, adrenal function. If it's low, they could be low adrenals. Um, so you can supplement with it, but like Sue was saying before, be careful with the pathways and be careful that you watch your labs and you could give yourself a PCOS type situation with androgens building up. Um, it also can be added when testosterone is low. And we talked about that before. So like hers is at 116. That's pretty damn low because it goes up to 378. The scale here on the bottom is 84. Um, 
I haven't looked at her insulin yet, but if it's good and she's low here and her testosterone is low and she might eat and her cortisol is low, her cortisol is eight, which we haven't got to yet. That's too low. So she's hypoadrenal in my opinion. So I'm going to be adding DHEA here to this woman, probably 25 migs a day, uh, micronized. Um, I'm going to get her on Adrena Health too. We'll talk about the cortisol in a minute, but I hope that would then help bring up her testosterone as well in conjunction with B vital and uh, help her feel more energetic in terms of hypoadrenalism too. Yeah. So I know you wanted to chime in on DHEA earlier, so I would. Like yeah. Um, well, DHEA and cortisol are closely related together along the, um, I guess the, the pathway or uh, uh, yeah, pathway to adrenal insufficiency. Um, the only thing I want to point out, which is interesting, which I found, you know, I teach this in my labs class, um, but a lot of individuals will have, some individuals will have high DHEA in response to stress. And there have been a lot of studies done. Um, th these can be easily found. Um, these studies were done on ER nurses and um, people in the military. And it was um, concluded that individuals whose uh, adrenal glands uh, pumped out more DHEA um, in response to stress, they are more likely to survive or do well in highly stressful positions and situations um, versus normal people or the normal curve. You'd see cortisol um, increasing and then slowly decreasing as the adrenals uh, basically give out hence the name adrenal insufficiency and DHEA follows a similar path where it eventually bottoms out, but in some people it increases, which is interesting. Beautiful summary there. So we got cortisol. So yeah, hypoadrenalism, it's an eight. Um, I will be honest with you guys. Cause I, I know this client cause obviously it's mine because I'm using the screen share on zoom, but um, how I kind of before the blood work. So I could kind of go down the rabbit hole of understanding like what we are looking at to paint the picture better <clears throat> if you go on stop the thyroidmadness.com there's a part where it talks about adrenals on there and it talks about specifically dr rind on there uses a temperature test so three hours after you get up you take your temperature three hours after that three hours after that you take the average and then over five days if the average jumps or moves more than 0.2 f a day it's a sign of adrenal insufficiency more than likely um, and then if it's below consistently 97.8, it would lead more to hypothyroidism and so forth. Now, if cortisol is low, T3 cannot get into the cell. So you'll have a lot of hypothyroid symptoms. Same if T3 or if cortisol is too high, it's something known as T3 pooling. And they talk about that pretty in depth on there too. So if you have a cortisol that's low and a thyroid that's, that's normal, and I've seen this T3 and they still have hypothyroid symptoms, then you definitely want to consider a four point cortisol test. How often do you guys lean on those for the four point cortisol test? Like, is this like, you guys see this number so we can all talk about how we approach this differently. You know, if I see a Mrs. Jones and it's pretty straightforward low, I'll probably just go ahead and assume the whole circadian rhythm needs work. But if you see that low and everything else adds up, do you guys still do a four point cortisol test? Well, I mean, I get a lot of intake and I know you, I know Sue does too. So like, I know if they're sleeping well, um, I know if they feel really tired in the morning, I know mm -hmm. if they get a second win about nine o'clock. So I don't have to push for a four point cortisol okay. test. So what I'm saying is 
And with an 8.1, I would imagine she gets up feeling tired. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to hit her with some L-tyrosine and probably some uh, Adrena Health here. As we de-stress the body, I might hit her again at 2 p.m. if she tells me she's still tired. And then at night, if she tells me she's having trouble sleeping, which most of these people do with this low morning cortisol, it spikes at night, um, I'm going to hit her with cortis because that's going to help cortisol metabolism when we need it. Correct. And then I can help get the circadian rhythm back in groove as I de-stress, as I pull hit cardio, as training is lessened and deloaded. So that's how I handle it. I only kind of pull it when I have chronic uh, people. Like, let's say I get that up. I like cortisol between 12 and 18. Okay. okay. Uh, so anything over 19.4 is considered high. Um, I, I basically only lean on the four point saliva test. If every time we try to start a cut, I see that it bottoms back out again, or it skyrockets again, I kind of want to then get a bigger picture of what's going on. And I rely on like, a, I'll usually just say, Hey, can we just get a full Dutch hormone and four point saliva test and just kind of look at all your pathways, see if I'm missing anything um, and go from there. And if we're not really missing anything, then I, I kind of do uh, two days off when they're cutting and high carb and then cordy's um, and adrenal health if needed, you know, where they're, where they're low or high and kind of reset them for two days. And then we go back into the cut for five. So that's kind of what I do with women who just can't seem to get their cortisol right. Um, anytime we push hard. One thing uh, I'll add here to help our listeners is uh, so like Jason said, this is a low cortisol. I like to use B5 pantothenic acid, um, which is also good for skin uh, to boost cortisol in the morning, but just so people have some ranges um, serum cortisol in the morning, micrograms per deciliter, you want anywhere from a 10 to a 15. If you're doing the four point saliva or uh, via Dutch, um, in the morning, you want it around a 10 noon around a three evening around a two and at night around a one. Okay. So it should taper down. It's in three, two, one. Yep. You guys got anything else on that? You want to move to estradiol and I'll turn to you, Jason. We can move to estradiol. Um, so this is the main, um, estrogen. There's three estrogens. This is the main one of women who are still in their childbearing years. So this is the one we really want to take a look at. Um, and you know, there's ranges here and you kind of got, like, I usually get, I get my labs ran in the luteal phase and we'll discuss why when it comes to progesterone. So here, uh, it's 43 to 211. She's at 109, you know, it's in range. Uh, we really got to look at progesterone to kind of see what else is going on and whether she's estrogen dominant, but as this looks, she's okay. Um, she's got a six on her progesterone. Um, we can cover it later or now, but you want me to cover the progesterone estradiol, um, formula, or do you want to just stick with estradiol right now? Stick with estradiol right now. Okay. And then we'll get to it. So, I, just, I was scrolling. Sorry. I usually get my labs in the luteal phase. I tell people like 17 to 22 days after first bleed of period. Um, so you're going to be looking at estradiol up to on this lab. Uh, the, if you use life extensions, 211. Anything over 211 is going to be estrogen dominant as well, irregardless of what, uh, regardless of what your um, progesterone's at. She's fine right now at 109. We haven't ran the formula to see if she's estrogen dominant, but she's in range. So, so you, can, you can spike estradiol by adding progesterone, uh, helping supplements like um, Chase Berry, uh, 
some of that will trickle into estrogen. You can also do it if you, once you get testosterone up, um, and I don't, some testosterone converts to estrogen too. Well, well, that's how you get estrogen and testosterone converts. So, um, and HRT will help bring it up too. So I'm not a big fan of taking a prescription direct estrogen, just so the listeners know. Um, there's more literature out there that can cause breast cancer, other types of things. So I usually kind of go the progesterone and testosterone route to kind of get that up if it needs to be. Beautiful. So you want to chime in anything there? Um, I was going to talk about that formula you just popped in, but, um, we can wait if you want. No, go ahead. If you got anything to say, or if you want to move on to progesterone and then take on that formula and Jason can chime Yeah, in. I'll talk about progesterone. Um, so progesterone is uh, released uh, via the corpus luteum, which is a structure that forms after the follicle, um, which contains the egg actually pushes out and you have ovulation. So without ovulation, without, um, you know, the egg being released, you don't produce progesterone because you don't make the corpus luteum. Um, and progesterone um, is signaling of basically the luteal phase as in corpus luteum. So that's progesterone is a dominant hormone in the second half of a woman's cycle. Obviously progesterone is pro gestation. It is uh, conducive to, um, you know, holding the fetus and, you know, having a good pregnancy. Um, there's a ratio that we often um, allude to when we talk about estrogen dominance. And estrogen dominance can be um, frank, which is basically like you are high in estrogen, or it can be relative. It can be low estrogen, but also really, really low progesterone. And so your estrogen relative to your progesterone is high. And there's a formula that you can quickly calculate to um, determine whether or not you are estrogen dominant. It is on a, so it's a ratio and it's on a range of 300 to 500, you want to be closer to the middle of this range. And so you have to do some math here because estrogen is uh, measured in picograms. So we have 109 picograms of estradiol. All right. And our progesterone is six nanograms. So you need to convert. So you need to take that six and multiply it by a thousand to get to uh, 6,000 picograms. And then you take the 6,000 picograms and you divide it by the 109 picograms and you get 55.04. So you can see that this woman is very, very low and she is estrogen dominant on this scale. She's not even at hundred. Yeah. Jason, you want to chime in anything there? I know that you're the granddaddy who brought this to us on that formula. Yeah. So. I mean, I use the hundred marker. If you're over hundred, I'm good to go. If you're <laughs> under hundred, you're estrogen dominant. Um, if, you're over 500, you're progesterone dominant, which I don't think I've ever seen. Um, no, and I haven't so, either. So um, here's the deal though with this. I've had women give me feedback. Their periods are regular, 28 days, 30 days, you know, four, five, six, seven day bleeds. And their progesterone in this ratio is 70. What do I tinker with it more? No. Like if they are cycling well, they feel healthy, I clear them. The hundred is just a range like hormones, you know, like things are going to be, these are all ranges and all these hormone ranges are based on years of collecting labs. And so these give practitioners a range, but go ultimately by how someone feels. If it came up from a five to a 70 and they feel amazing, well, you don't have to keep tinkering. Supplements are probably right. What you got them doing training is right. And just watch it as the client goes because they are prone to it. 
Um, but you know, a lot of times if I see someone's rate, I get someone's ratio pretty good and then they start breaking out again or something. I know probably something's off and it's probably a lot of times after I started to push a cut, they've got stressed. Um, and when you stress the body chooses to make cortisol more than it chooses to make progesterone. So progesterone starts to go lower. Um, cause you know, cortisol starts to go up. So, um, that's my little spiel on it. When you have low progesterone, you're going to stop a lot of times your period will cease and you can't hold a fetus to term either. Um, so you'll see a lot of miscarriages, right? So if you're a woman who's miscarried a lot and you're listening and you're wondering why, and no one's told you, um, you've got to take look at labs and get your progesterone up. Um, I use, uh, for progesterone, um, I use our Chaseberry liposoma with new ethics, three, um, droppers full up to six, if you have to, to get it cranking. Uh, or I use a product called Progon B by Bezwecken. It's called Bezwecken Progon B. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. And that's uh, three drops at night under the tongue, even though it says to put it on your skin. Yeah. So those are my go-tos for pro getting progesterone up. I want to add one thing. Me personally, Jason, I use the Chaseberry, uh, whether it's your product or standalone, um, in women who are you know younger than you know perimenopausal, um, and women who are perimenopausal and menopausal dealing with low hormones, I like to use the progesterone hormone itself via the program B. But if I can get LH and FSH signaling going in a otherwise should be, you know, regularly ovulating female, I will use the, the chase berry to kick, kickstart that. Um, one thing I wanted to add was like, if you have irregular periods or like heavy periods, um, that could signal uh, low progesterone because estrogen is responsible for building up the uterine lining. Progesterone, when it drops, assuming you produce it, uh, is responsible for the shedding or the kickstart of the shedding. So if you never have that progesterone release, the, the uterine lining just keeps building and building until it finally slows off. And that's why you get a super, super heavy random period. And uh, that is uh, termed a luteal phase defect, but basically it's low progesterone. Sweet. Vitamin D. That's pretty much basic one. Get out in the sun. No, I'm just kidding. It's involved in a lot of stuff, but you guys, uh, I don't really ever see this one too low. And if they do, you know, I'm like, Hey, get out in the sun, do some stuff. Like that. Supplement He's with low. it. This one's low. Yeah, no, I'm getting it. Like in the sense, like, so you have 30 to a hundred, right? The normal levels, what they're saying is 65 and greater. Correct? That's where I like it. Yeah. 65, yeah. 80. So, you know, that's usually you got 5,000. I use a vitamin D three, we usually right. start bringing that up. Now, if you do the D3, you want to do the K2 with it because K2. the K2 tells the calcium where to go. So there were some theories that if you don't have uh, the reason that osteoporosis is growing is because there's not enough K2 in the diet and we have a naturally high calcium diet. Um, so if you guys supplement with the vitamin D, supplement with the K2, I supplement with K2 because of my bone disease, because it is something that uh, some of the literature I've read with my bone disease is interesting. I do 5,000 milligrams of D3, and then I think it's 180 micrograms of the K2. Yeah. Solar Ray makes a really good product that combines yeah, it together. Nutridine does too. That's the one I use. Yeah. Yep. That's a good one. C-reactive protein. This one is inflammation. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I've had mine two, three before. Um, I know you're looking, you ultimately like we had that Dr. Lungsford Lungston on talking to us, uh, Lunsford, I'm sorry, whatever is that I can't remember. You guys don't terrible names, but 
Uh, and he was talking about this. He was trying to keep his what below like 5.5. Jeff is what he was saying. That podcast we did with him. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The so lower the better. Yeah. The lower, the better. Now training does impact this. Um, you definitely want to take at least one day off, preferably two days off before your labs. Um, you know, you're looking at um, anti-inflammatory stuff to help with that from curcumin to uh, and turmeric all the way down to ginger and so forth is really good. Jason, what do you have for that when you have high C-reactive protein levels? Um, yep. Do you have any idea? what? How, what's your protocol for working with someone? Yeah, um, again, a lot of times this is going to be elevated when you're dealing with stress and, you know, the labs are going to show it, um, you know, as we've kind of gone through and told you where, what markers are going to be looked for stress. Um, so I, I first tried to de-stress the person, you know, less training, less, less, all those things fix the gut because the gut can have a big impact on inflammation. So yep. you're going to, I see this high a lot of times when people come to me with SIBO or they just have, you know, maybe some sort of microbiome dysfunction, um, even just not eating, uh, the proper foods, you know, if someone is an autoimmune person, uh, and they're eating a lot of, uh, uh, gluten all the time. I mean, they're going to be inflamed. Um, it's, it's tearing up the gut lining. Um, so, uh, I like this under one, um, and I use curcumin as well, but what I've been using now is our new flame defense that new ethics brought out. Cause it has curcumin in it and it has a slew of other, uh, ingredients that help internal inflammation. <laughs> What's going to help is omega-3 fatty acids. So fish oils are going to do really well. One thing I want to note here when we talked about cholesterol, um, you can have a high total cholesterol, not even the best HDLs. And if you have very low grade inflammation in your body, it's not going to really plaque in the arteries. If you have high cholesterol and you have a high C-reactive protein, you're in trouble. You have inflammation and inflammation is what causes the, the total cholesterol, all this cholesterol to plaque. So, you know, I don't even jump out of my seat when I see high cholesterol, maybe not the best HDL, especially if someone's living a healthy lifestyle and their C-reactive protein is total low. But you see both of those high together, you better, you better get working on it with the client ASAP. So. so you got anything you want to chime in there? Yeah, um, on the lab test, just make sure that you know the difference between HSCRP and regular CRP. HSCRP is high sensitivity, and they use that more so um, when they're trying to figure out any problems with the heart, whereas um, CRP can be used just to detect um, general inflammation, and the ranges are wildly different. Uh, CRP, you want less than 10 milligrams per liter, and HSCRP, you want less than 0.5 milligrams per liter because it's high sensitivity okay badass thank you for sharing that i appreciate that that's a little nugget all right insulin levels so this one's a huge one and this is one that a lot of doctors like don't even test for they, they just go off the blood glucose levels and uh, you can sometimes see normal blood glucose levels and like high insulin levels you know um depending upon when they might how long they might have fasted and so forth sue i know we've talked about this before because we had it in our thread what's your cutoff for insulin levels we had um dr ben bickman he was saying anything over seven me and jason yeah. were saying more 10 i think you were saying more nine um, what are you looking for and what is your goal when you see a high insulin level? We know the PCOS factor, which we could talk about real quick, but we also know dietary and cardio considerations come into play as well when you have a high insulin level. So yeah, go ahead and walk that out for us. Well, in terms of levels, first of all, I think I'd want to see something anywhere from like a three to a six max, 
you know, I think this client right here at 5.9 is starting to uh, push it a little bit. And this is where I want to make a, a point about looking at medical reference ranges and optimal reference ranges. Look at this reference range here. It's 2.6 to 24.9. So her insulin could be at 20 and the doctor would be like, yeah, you're fine. And nothing would be flagged as high on this lab. Whereas if whereas we know that an insulin level that high or anything like a nine or a 10 signals that the pancreas is working over time, beta cells are working over time to produce insulin. So think of insulin like a thermostat in a room and you're trying to keep the temperature at a certain level. And so let's say someone opens a window, right? Blood glucose comes in via food. The pancreas is gonna kick up and try to keep that room at the same temperature. So over time, the thermostat breaks, the pancreas fatigues, the beta cells fatigue, and that's why you get blood sugar getting higher and higher. So in the beginning of um, insulin resistance, it's masked by a high level of insulin because FBG will look the same. So you have to get FBG tested, you gotta get A1C tested, and you gotta get insulin tested to get the full picture. Otherwise, you can go years and years with a high insulin level and your FBG can look quote unquote normal. And it's Correct. not. I bet it wouldn't even last year. So what's going to happen is the cells are going to cramp crap out and you're going to stop producing insulin. Um, yeah. And then it's going to skyrocket and you're going to show pre-diabetes signs. I don't think you would get a couple years out of it to be honest. Maybe months, do you think? Uh, it's hard to say, but man, I don't know if it would happen for a couple of years. I mean, I don't know. Every, I think everyone's pancreas is going to be different when it finally says fuck off, but you know, it's going <laughs> to happen. Let's and, be safe and say a couple months then. Oh, for sure. Oh, it would take months. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So when you guys are looking at this, you guys see high insulin and you guys see high androgens. That's obviously your PCOS. Jason, guy, yeah. think you want to comment on that real quick to round this one out? Uh, I mean, so PCOS. Yeah. Like, so if you see that high insulin, like, you know, I, I start to worry when insulin's over 10, but you know, so if someone has an insulin at say 12 and they're, and their DHEA is high, they're not taking it or their testosterone's high. They're not taking, you know, HRT. I basically, you know, start to just say, all right, let's, let's like kind of handle this as a PCOS case. And so what I do is I want to get those androgens to travel to estrogen so they can be removed from the body via the liver. And so I'll use salt palmetto uh, about 500 to 750 migs a day to kind of release that and try to get that androgen to go to estrogen. Uh, I'll hit them with our Metapure so that the phase one and phase two is cranking. And then I, I definitely have to adjust diet. I've got to get their carbs down, more healthy fats. They're going to be a lot of anti-inflammatory omega-3 fats. Um, and you know, then I use a GDA, like our GDA max. Um, if it's not coming down after 10 weeks, the, talking about the insulin, I might have to add more berberine or we might have to get metformin on board, but you want to handle it. You've got to handle it through diet, supplementation, and more rest. Beautiful. All right. So we have ferritin to round this bad boy up because we've already talked about T3, which is the last one. So this is the storage, uh, major iron storage protein in the body. If it's low, it's more of a sign of anemia. And if it's high, it's more of a sign of inflammation. Um, the lab marker is 15 to 150. Sue, do you have that chart handy and, and ferritin on yours for what it is? I know that anything less than 50 is not good. Um, and that 15 is really low, like very anemic from what I've seen. And uh, I think it's on my chart. 
I don't think I have that on my chart. What's up? What do you have on yours for a range? Let me see. I have to pull it up. Jason, you have anything on ferritin level real quick? Um, you know, again, you said it, uh, if it's low, I'm worried about anemia and I'm going to use iron bisglycinate, um, bring it up. Um, if it's high, you're dealing with inflammation. I mean, I don't know what else to add on it. Um, you know, I don't have a true range. I kind of use high and low and go from there, but I don't wait till someone's, you know, subclinical, you know, under this has 15 on the low end to give them iron bisglycinate. If someone's in the thirties, 40s and they're feeling tired as hell i might go ahead and give them a little extra iron or like i said you can put um more cream of rice in their diet i use it a lot with people i see a lot of lower towards the lower end iron than i do high um so you know you can get it from foods too um but that's that's my take on it i have the ferret answers too it's 50 to it's 50 to 100 is what i have for the functional medicine yeah. stuff i was researching yeah, that's so what I'm saying. 100 is what you're looking 40, for. I'm still going to treat it with something to try to get it up, get them out of that anemic state. Beautiful. Guys, that's all the blood work stuff. How do you guys feel after going through all that? <laughs> Good. Like we just went through school again. Like, yeah. you know, nice to hear. I, like I did a client consult. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But, you know, dude, that's like the coolness about seeing this stuff because this is how we learn over time because the three of us usually chat about labs and troubleshoot and you know and it's all part of surrounding ourselves with better people to be able to demand more of ourselves so guys you know if you're a coach listening to this make sure you're surrounding yourself with other coaches other people in your circle you know who are helping you learn grow to be able to help get you get more of yourself if you're a potential client or uh, you know anyone listening to this if you're getting that blood test done this is really good tools to overall inside of your health and this is something you can do the same panel every year to see how it changes you're able to get get a consistent uh grip on your health uh internally i know a lot of doctors when you go for physical um they don't always run the same things from what i've seen they right. just kind of run what they want so this is a way for you to get a collective idea of your internal health on the same panel year after year and kind of be able to you know troubleshoot accordingly you guys have anything else you want to say before we round out uh, i'll add that you know um, you know, we are health and fitness coaches, we aren't doctors. So obviously, you know, work right. with your doctor. And I think, that, you know, getting lab work done through a coach like, you know, Jason, Jeff, myself, we can help you explain a lot of things and tell you to run things that your doctor may miss or otherwise don't doesn't have the time to um, run because it's preventative medicine. So then what you can do is take this set of lab work, that you get from Quest Lab or LabCorp or whatever, and go to your doctor's office and say, hey, listen, I ran these labs and I got these numbers and I think you know, I, this might be off or whatever. Can we take a look at this and present it to them? And so you just save them a whole bunch of time and legwork and then they can sit down and explain things to you. So we're here to help in that regard. We're not here to replace your doctors. We're here to supplement your medical care yep. as coaches. Absolutely. Give you guys, you know, you have the thing, like we've said, me and Nick, when we tell our team, doctors just diagnose and adios. And we're kind of, you know, helping you guys get like deeper understanding of knowledge. So that way, you know, you're able to be more informed on decisions you make in terms of your health and result and health and fitness and ultimately the results you're trying to get um, because blood works a big component. 
So I feel like I need to come through this fucking thing and give you a hug and like fart on you and some shit, warm you up. Or You're like, listen, I'm going to be eating a chicken and rice meal a little bit before another client consult calls. So I'll kick up my, my thyroid a little I bit. I hope you do a little bit. Well, guys, next week we have Sonia Spill joining us. She's a coach out of the Pacific Northwest. We met her at the PC in Denver. She's right. super cool. We are going to talk about women's sex drive next week. I'm excited. To talk All right. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, you have yourself too excited now. No, I'm not. I'm not the single one. I'm just, I'm, I will be good and behave, but you guys have yourself. I'll be sure to prepare a list of questions. <laughs> oh, I bet you will. Oh God. I almost. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know how it works. Oh shit. I can't wait to hear this tomorrow <laughs> or next week. All right, guys. Well, you have yourself a great rest of your day. Today was fun. All right. Ciao. See ya.